It's like all the police extras are going bawk, 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 in the background. Police and chicken are chattering. Hey, Maniacs. Hey, Maniacs. Welcome to Midsummer Maniacs, the recap podcast of the ITV series Midsummer Murders, where we cover each episode one week at a time with the murders, the mayhem, the loonies, and everything else we love. If your kids are able to watch Midsummer without having too many traumas, they can certainly listen to this podcast. I'm Mark. I'm Sarah. How'd I do? You did excellent. Hey, no notes or anything. You didn't lose your head, that's for sure. Oh! Neither did anybody in this episode, really. No, well, no. really? It's kind they of didn't o- kill the actors? <laughs> it's kind of obvious. They didn't kill the actors? They do a good job, though. They do. That's Spend- because we're talking about the Sword of Guillaume. You can pronounce that all kinds of fun ways. Guillaume. Guillaume. It's Guillaume. Yes, it's Guillaume. Hey, we got an email this week from a very nice lady named Valerie. Everybody who listens is a nice person. Always, always say nice things to us. Everybody is fantastic. Absolutely. We we had somebody on Reddit who was like, "You got the episode order wrong," and he's and then they were like, "Oh no, it's okay. (laughs) Everything was okay." I know some people talk about getting like all kinds of nasty grams and people arguing with them and you know hate mail and stuff, bad reviews and. The people who listen to our podcast are our kind of people. They're just nice people who like a show. We do have two one-star reviews on Apple iTunes now. Oh, Who gave us a one-star review? I know we're not perfect, but we're better than one star. I'm going to say it's somebody who didn't understand how it worked and accidentally did that. Maybe. And then couldn't take it back. That's what I'm saying. Remember, rate, review, subscribe. (laughs) We Uh, get most of our listeners through word of mouth because you guys are great. Yeah. Whenever I see somebody talking about Midsummer Murders, like on Twitter or Reddit or something, there's always somebody who will say, hey, did you know there was a podcast? And they're like, no, I didn't know that. Oh, my gosh. I yep. got to go listen to that. Yeah. <laughs> well, Valerie also bought a shirt, hey. which is awesome. That helps out Direct Relief. We're almost at our goal of the money we wanted to raise for Direct Relief. And we'll be sending off a donation for all the maniacs. Yeah, baby. Doing all the good that we can. Hey, be sure to stay tuned till the end of the episode because we've got kind of an important announcement about next week's episode. It's really fun. So, Sword of Guillaume, filmed in July and August. July and August by the seaside. Isn't that convenient? Yes. Broadcast the 10th of February, 2010. 7.02 million views. Directed by Rennie Rye, written by Michael Aikens, and this really is the beginning of the end. But it's also quintessential midsummer. Yes. With everything that we love. Just this making is, a sound. This is the introduction of the gardener. I mean John Barnaby. John Barnaby. I remember the first time I saw this episode, of course, I didn't know that he, that they were going to switch over to the new Barnaby the next season. No. But I loved their interactions so much. Because there's no press about Midsummer in, Can- in Canada. <laughs> we don't live in Canada, Mark. No. It feels like it, but... In the U.S. In the U.S., there's no press about Midsummer at all. No, of so. course not. But when they announced that Neil Dudgeon would be taking over... 
I remembered this episode and thought, that'll be okay. I liked him. I think we watched it again at that point. Yeah, yeah. And I stand by it. I still like him. Oh, I do too. And he's great in this episode. Oh, I think he's fantastic. Hey, it's a churchyard and there's thunder and it's nighttime. Guess what show we're watching? (laughs) (laughs) You almost expect to see the two bodies in the churchyard from the last episode laying around. What? There's a lot of beheading in this show lately. (laughs) But there is a special guest star in the cemetery at the in the opening credits of this show the of this fox? episode yeah it's spy fox yes he's, he's like Sako fox's brother or something but he's spying on her he's spying on marcia it's, it's and her Mar- ninja marcia in her cloak i don't want to run into her in the dark she's strong well she's like a pit pony <laughs> she picks william up and carries him up two flights of stairs She's like Arnold Schwarzenegger underneath that cardigan. Yeah, maybe that's who they were looking for in that episode. I'm not making her mad. Yeah. (laughs) Well, she lifts up the coffin lid with the pulley. How did that pulley get there? I can can almost say I can accept that there is a pulley installed in the rafters above that tomb. I, I can go with that. Now... How did she get a rope around the lid up to that pulley well, and back down again without a ladder and like other people to help her and everything else? No. As a ninja, she can also climb walls, depending on what level she is. I think she's Hulk Marcia. Oh, she's incredible. She should just lift it up with her bare hands and move it. And the thing is, it was all set up when she comes in the church. That's what I mean. Yeah. Like, it's no small thing to lift it up enough just to get a rope underneath it that you can tie a knot in. And then, like, I see her kind of holding the rope with one hand and then trying to get this. (laughs) (laughs) There's all sorts of problems. No, she ties the rope around her own foot. Okay. And that's how she keeps it stable while she reaches in to get the sword because she's Hulk Marcia and she can do that. Well, she needs to also be blacksmith Marcia because that sword would not be razor sharp. No. And it needs to be for what it does later on in the episode. Yeah, but the corpse in the tomb is excellent. Do you think she would wear her cloak while she was filing the sword on one of those old time grindstones? The ones you have to pedal? Yeah. Maybe she just like slides it between her teeth and sharpens it. Maybe. Since she's like Marsha the Impossible. Maybe. <laughs> and then we have the best council meeting ever. If only it was on Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> I love so, Matilda. <laughs> the mayor's like, two plus two equals four. And she's like, <clears throat> bullshit. <laughs> like she can't, she doesn't agree with anything that comes out of his mouth. So outside of where they are, they're at Hampstead Heath. Uh, sorry, Hemel Hampstead. Okay. That's where it's filmed. And they go into the old town hall that. With the new convenient brass plaque that says Coston yeah. City Hall. Yes. <laughs> and uh, there's Hugh Dagleish here, who is the skeezy white guy in this He's episode. He's the reprehensible person. Yes. Yes. And yeah, this is quite the council meeting. Okay, I have a couple of questions about this council meeting. Why are they there? Why is who there? Why are Jones and, and Barnaby there? Because they know that he's going to announce this land purchase. So? And Barnaby is always suspicious of anything that Hicks is doing. Okay, does he go to every council meeting then? Because Hicks does. Hicks is the mayor, so. You would think that he probably runs all the council meetings, but he doesn't always announce some big purchase. Okay, why is Jenny there? She Maybe she's a member of the Chamber of Commerce, yes. but why is she not sitting down the bottom? She's in the top 
Because Barnaby's up there and she needs to be close to him. Which is clearly <laughs> the same set as the courtroom scenes. That's okay. Did yeah. you see the crest of Costin? Oh, no. What did it have on it? Did it have the badger? Um, I can't speak to the actual design of the crest, but the slogan below it yeah. is Audentior. Which is, means what? It's Latin for daring, bold, and courageous. Oh, okay. That, that's how you would describe Costin, isn't it? I guess. That it's a bold place. Of course. Yes. <laughs> Haven't you seen their nightlife? <laughs> Matilda calls Jones a peasant. <laughs> I thought it was Hugh that had called him a peasant. Oh, Hugh called him a peasant. That's right. Yeah. I want. You know what I want? I want Morris from Made to Measure, the last episode, and yeah. his tweeds, to fight Hugh. I want good aristocrat versus bad aristocrat. I want them to duke it out. Yeah, and like my tweed's better than your tweed. I wouldn't mind Hugh and Jenny getting together when she has a head. Hugh, not Hugh. Uh, Morris. Morris. Yeah, they'd Je- be all right. They'd be fun. They'd have fun. Yeah. <laughs> don't con- don't <laughs> don't confuse Morris and Hugh. No, They're, it's the good one and the bad one. So the whole idea of this episode, there's two things going on in terms of this trip to Brighton mm-hmm. historically. Mm-hmm. First of all, there's Lady. Matilda, who is way back at 1066. Oh, yeah. And concerned about Angles and Saxons. Yes. And then you have the the children of Brighton being moved to Coston during the war. No, the other way around. Coston was building spitfires, and so they sent their kids to Brighton. Oh, on the coast? Which makes no sense no at all. No sense at all. Because the Germans bombed the crap out of Brighton. Yeah. Like, it's not as if it's on the south coast with a giant bright... Oh, yeah. Well, it's not but, like they had the pure lights on during the blackout. <laughs> during the blackout, I want to go in the horror hotel. There's actually a name for it. It's called the Brighton Blitz. Like, that's how many times they got bombed. They had their own blitz. They were attacked from the air on 56 occasions between July 1940 and February 1944. 198 people were killed in Brighton and 357 seriously injured with an additional 433 minor injuries. Wow. That's not where I want to send my kids. No. And also, instead of building holiday cabins for the less fortunate, why don't we build them homes? Um, Because they need to go on holiday, Mark. Come oh, on. Okay. <laughs> and the mayor says they're going to have a junket. A junket. To, to Brighton. Do you know what a junket is? Well, a junk is a, a type of boat. Mm-hmm. Like a Chinese boat. Right. Um, so I guess a junket would use one of those. <laughs> <laughs> I love your logic. <laughs> no. I didn't think it was that funny. <laughs> not at all. Okay. That is not at okay. all what it means. <laughs> I mean, I know that you mean. I know that you understand that a junket is a trip, right? Yeah. For some, for a purpose, a specific purpose. It's, it's a bunch of people going to another place, usually to promote business between the two places. Yes. So, how would you <laughs> make sense of a boat and that? I guess you'd, you'd use you'd take the boat. The boat. <laughs> okay. It's funny to me because I know what it actually means and where it comes from. Okay. <laughs> So did I thought. And it's so different from that. It's actually from a French word. It's like junque or something. I don't try to pronounce French if I don't have to. Um, But originally. Junquette? Junquette? It's more complicated than that. Is it Q-U-E-T? There's a a whole syllable that gets dropped. Okay. But originally it was a term for um, a basket that was made of rushes. It was specifically to carry fish. 
Okay. Okay. Then people started using those baskets to serve food at big feasts because they're big flat baskets, right? Mm-hmm. Then it takes on the meaning of sort of a picnic basket because now that you've got food in a basket, you can take it anywhere. Yep. And so then that becomes a pleasure trip where you you take food someplace just for the sake of having fun. Maybe and so junket Chinese boat? Not on a boat. <laughs> so then junket goes from meaning the basket to the trip that you take where you might take the basket and then that turns into a purposeful trip for pleasure and promotion. My favorite use of it though is one time in the 1800s where it was turned into an adjective. Junketatious. Junketatious. It's a great word, isn't wow. it? Wow. Given to junketing or merrymaking. Wow. Like, Mark, you are so junketatious. Woo! <laughs> I mean, you, like my, to, you like to party. That's my new album, Junketatious. Junk, junketatious. Yeah. Next time you're talking to somebody who likes to go out, you know, you could think. You're so junketatious. Man, I'm kind of I'm feeling, you know, too much quarantine. I'm sort of feeling junketatious. <laughs> it's your nerd word of the day. Yeah, so we get this whole we, whole cast of characters, right? Yeah. At the town meeting, at the council meeting, we get Hugh, we get Lady Matilda, we get Jenny Russell, and we get the Terrys, Lucy and Trent, who does, are the Ramblers. Does the Reverend Groom and Gloom go to the council meeting? I don't think. I don't did. remember seeing okay. him there. Okay. No. Giles. Yes. Played by the awesome Mark Gaddis. Oh, Mark Gaddis is so spectacular in this episode. He is. Matilda thinks that everybody who lives in Brighton are barbarians. Barbarians. Even though it's a thousand years later, they're barbarians. And they're, well, I'm not going to tell you how far away because I want to play a game with you. Okay. So the vicar has called Barnaby. Yes. Because someone is leaving nasty notes. On the bulletin board. Now, he doesn't mention that the sword has been stolen. He doesn't know. Because he doesn't notice the dust until Barnaby notices the dust. Barnaby walks in and notices it right away. I don't think he notices it the first time he's there. We do. We get to see it. But he doesn't pick up on it until he goes back there. We know whose fault it is. It's television's fault. TV rots the brains of everybody, says the doom and gloom Giles. the breakdown of society. Poor Reverend Giles. He's so sad. Well, we'll get to his sadness and how short-lived it is. So Mark Gaddis, you guys, you might know him. Um, he he wrote much of the Sherlock series that has Benedict Cumberbatch in it. Yes, yeah, so he plays Mycroft in Sherlock. He's very funny. He's extremely funny. And he has a very good documentary series on the history of horror. Yes, it's well worth watching. Yep. But there's a couple of things he's done that I didn't know about. Oh. He was in... Um, an anthology episode called Psycho Bitches, where he played Joan Crawford. Oh. <laughs> it's it's a comedy. Yes. So it's Joan Crawford and Betty Davis. Somebody else plays Betty Davis. But he, he's got this lipstick on that's just fantastic. He's so funny in it. Oh. And then he was also in this movie. I couldn't make it a horrible movie for this week because I know you haven't seen it. But it's called Sex Lives of the Potato Men. No, I have not seen Sex Lives of the Potato Man. It's from 2004, and it stars Johnny Vegas and Mackenzie Crook. Now, Mackenzie Crook was in The Detectorists. Yes. And it's about the sexual antics of potato delivery men in Birmingham. That has some gold in it. I bet it does. I'd never heard of it. Like, wow, Mark Gaddis, Johnny Vegas, Mackenzie Crook. That's going to be funny. Yeah. Yeah. Johnny Vegas is a guy who needs to be on Midsummer. Absolutely. Yeah. And he should play somebody really posh. Yeah. Because that would be funny. 
New money posh. Yeah. <laughs> he could be he could be Mayor Hicks's uh, shameful brother or something. <laughs> so luckily, Mark Gaddis, the vicar, has CCTV in the church. Only in the entryway. <laughs> but he doesn't see stealing the store. Because it's not inside. But she had to go through the door to get it. Like, oh, I think she went through the side door. Okay. I she think, had her big rope and everything. I think she climbed up the side of the building in her ninja outfit. Because she's absolutely aware that camera's there. She's oh. doing it for the camera to see. She almost waves at the camera. So when she goes in to steal a sword, she's not going to go in that way. Her letters are a bit repetitive, though. Her letters are a font crime. Oh, wow. I don't know what that font is, but it's never meant to be used in all caps. No. Attention, the vicar of this parish. Okay. The conceit is that Marcia lives at the big house with Richard and his mother. Matilda. Matilda. And that the the estate owns this church. Right. So this is the one location I think she could make it to with her cloak and not be noticed. I agree. Okay. Because it's more like it's... It's probably on the grounds yes. of the house, yeah. Attention, the vicar of this parish. She knows who the vicar is. Okay, but she doesn't want to give that away, duh. Okay. What I love is that she says Jenny Russell has brimstone oozing from her pores. I don't know. Do you the, know what brimstone is? Brims- it's a boat from China. <laughs> it's sulfur. Yes, that's right. And sulfur smells like rotten eggs and farts. yeah. Wow, Ginny's much less attractive now, isn't she? She's got fart oozing out of her pores. <laughs> I don't know. Lady Matilda is a tool of Satan because she's having sexual rituals with an unnatural relationship. <laughs> with Marcia. Who wrote the letters. I obviously trying to put it off. Oh, yeah. That's a smart thing to do, right? Yeah. Just to include herself in one so it's, she can't be the one who's writing them. Brimstone from every pore. That's a lot. Yeah, that would make her rather gross. Oh, the letter about me? I have no idea. Well, it was about me, but... I threw it away. I didn't know it would be the first one in a series. Like, I was like, is he going to say he ate it? I don't even know what it said. I ate it. I didn't even read it. It was probably from the bishop. That's his best line. I know, I like that. (laughs) Some sort of disturbed medievalist. Luckily, we know disturbed medieval. <laughs> I googled that phrase to see if I could find it anywhere else, and it always referenced the script for this episode. So, so we need to cover Matilda's family structure. There's Ma- Lady Matilda. Mm-hmm. There's no Lord Matilda. He died. Yep. Richard, who is her son, her only child, who is in a wheelchair. Yes. And Marcia, who does everything else in the house. Marcia does everything. Including the murders. Including dusting a picture frame and then wiping Richard's face with the same cloth. (laughs) (laughs) Including working in the yard and then why isn't somebody looking after Richard? Isn't it your job to look after? But Marcia waters plants with a spray bottle. Oh. That's going to take forever. No wonder she's out there for so long. (laughs) Maybe she is the brain of a pit pony. (laughs) She's out there spraying bushes. Oh, my hand's cramping up. Oh, no, but I'm strong like ox, so. (laughs) Richard is played by, what's his name? What's his name? Who plays him? Richard is played by Colin Brummage. And this was his, when I looked him up on IMDb, this was his only acting credit, which always makes me suspicious that perhaps somebody has like uh, changed 
jobs or has given we up see acting. It with child actors. Yeah, mostly. unless it's a kid actor, I I always try to find out what have they become, what, what do they do now instead of acting. Yeah. And then when I discovered who Colin Brummage is, it all made sense because he is the CEO for Camden Disability Action. So it's like a are they a nonprofit? Or yes. A, yeah. So yes. They're a nonprofit, probably think tank or. Or they rep- a lobbying group. Yes, for- they represent disabled people in Camden and lobby for accommodation and like ramps and public transit and all- I mean he has a really super important job. Sort of like um, buses that have ways to get on. <laughs> How do they get Richard? Well, you know how they get him on. Marcia just picks him up, throws him over her shoulder, and carries his wheelchair with the other hand because she's Hulk. But I, when it's I, it's like they, get, they were like, okay, what are we going to do now with Richard getting on the bus? Because we can't just not show it. And then there, there's and he's like just on the bus. A bunch of guys who are standing around looking uncomfortable while Jenny's like touching Barnaby. Yeah. But not offering to help or anything. That's no. okay, because they know Marcia's got it. Because <laughs> she probably just jumped up on top of the bus with him in her arms. Anyway, the point is... Yes. Is that I think it's incredible that the makers of the show chose somebody who is an advocate for disabled people to play this role. He also happens to be a wheelchair user himself. Yep, and we're going to put information about him in the show notes. Yeah, and I I really think that is the only ethical way that you could have an actor play a profoundly disabled person is to have somebody who actually understands the issues related to disabled people and knows how to represent them. I would agree. No, I think it's super well done. And I think he does a great job for not being an actor. I think he does too. I believed him. I don't think it's an easy thing to do. That last look at Barnaby. Oh man. That was like, help me. (laughs) That poor man. Anyhow, that's, I think that's an important thing to note. The Terrys are all up in arms because they have a legal right to roam. And Hugh, the jerk and tweed, has built an obelisk basically out of giant concrete dun, bricks. Dun. <laughs> Can't you walk around it? <laughs> no, because there's like a fence that goes right up to it that's barbed wire. And then there's pointy weeds on either side, remember? Because they have to go around it later. And Jones is like, ow, 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 ow. Still. Where does he just keep his giant concrete cubes? I, I don't know. And how does he get them there and... The same I'm, way they get them out. I really want to know. I really want to know the racket of the guys who are like, oh, "Sure, we'll put them there. Oh, sure, we'll pick them back up and get them." Yeah, <laughs> like, easiest fifty bob we ever made. <laughs> they put them there knowing they were going to come back the next day. Of and course, pick them up. yes. But I don't know why Hugh has such a problem with people walking on that path. Yeah. I, I, he just likes to be a jerk, clearly. Because later when Jenny says, I don't like you, he says, nobody does. No one does. He knows it. He knows it. So Barnaby goes to talk to Jenny. And this is actually, once again, in Himmel Hempstead. This is all film. All the village stuff is in Himmel Hempstead. I looked all over for this. How much time does sex take up in your life, Tom? <sighs> Five times a month? To which Barnaby is like, no. She goes, once a month? Once and Barnaby a- puts up his hand like, <laughs> Five times a month. And she kind of looks like, whoa. And then he goes, I just want a cup of tea. He's holding it up to say, whoa. Yeah. But it's also a great frame to see 
Tom's nails. Yes. Because a lot of people talk about Tom's nails. Yeah. I, I took a shot of it so you can post it to the notes. He has long fingernails on that whole hand. I yeah. know people say, oh, he plays guitar. But that only explains a thumb, right? No, no. It explains all the fingers. Oh, so if you strum with your yeah. fingers, you need longer nails? You can use longer nails. Oh. I think that would be hard on your nails to use them to that's why guitar. a lot of people cover them in things like lacquer or crazy glue they go into the hotel so that he can talk to her about the letter which makes sense references her that makes sense that he goes to talk to her yes it doesn't make sense that she's in some group with joyce no at the tennis club at the tennis club she has no money she's almost out of money well, Joyce isn't at the tennis club. She just hears it from one of her friends who is a member of the tennis club. Because uh, t- I don't think if Joyce was sitting there, Jenny would have said, I want your husband on an island. I'll tell you what. <laughs> you make a wonderful madam is not a great pickup. <laughs> I'll give you a discount. <laughs> Wow. I do like, though, when he put, he picks up her hands and puts them back on her own knee. Like, yeah. no, thank you. <laughs> then but the I, mayor goes to Lady Matilda's house and she just shoots the place up. Oh, my gosh. It's so great. <laughs> she has no care about the mayor at all. No. She just starts shooting at him. No, she is all out of the word that we don't say on this podcast. Yep. <laughs> She gives no whatever for him. Yep. And even when he's already leaving, she still takes one more shot. (laughs) Get out of here. Did you? Two things. One, I love that Jenny says that after she and her husband split up, all the men in town wanted to park their tanks on her lawn. Yes. (laughs) Like, what what kind of idiom is that? I don't understand it. Like, I bring all the, you know, my milkshakes bring all the guys to the yard. All the tanks to the all yard. All the tanks to the yard. I don't get it. Um, but across from the hotel, there's some place that's called like Leisure something. Did you see that? Yes. It's gone now. What was it? It was, okay, that's almost how I found that place. Because that sign is obnoxious. That's why I wanted to know what it it's was. It's actually Leslie Hall Florist. Oh, I thought it said leisure. No, I found, I read the corporate. No, wait a minute. I'm talking about the big, like, it's like orange and yellow sign. Not the little black awning that has florist on it. Okay. Next to that, it says leisure. Okay. Something. I don't know because I found it. I found out where they were because I read the corporate documents. (laughs) (laughs) Leslie Hall florist. Know where she lives. I thought I was bad for reading old court documents from the 1800s sometimes, but you're like way over the top. I couldn't believe I was like into corporate documents. And then we get this great call where John, uh, John gets called by Tom for the first time, right? Okay. So they're in the cop shop. Yes. And there's a couple of things before we get to that call, which is a great call, which is one, the computer screen with the note on it. It's Microsoft Works. Yep. It's the guy sitting across from PC Stevens. Yes. DC Stevens. And he's writing this weird note. It's I, It makes no sense at all. Again, I took a shot of it. Yeah. And it we'll talks put it about a party. Yep. And, but it's not gibberish. Nope. It's like he's typing from a document that makes no sense. <laughs> but I was completely enamored by something else in that scene. What? I don't know if you picked up on it. What? Well, first of all... 
The production people just went around and put these on everything. There are Midsummer Constabulary stickers. Oh, yeah. They're on all the binders all of a sudden. So on yeah. all the binders and everything. But there is and the pencil a, cup. a Midsummer, Midsummer Constabulary pencil cup. And I was like, I want one of those. I want one. I want <laughs> Midsummer Murders. Midsummer uh, Constabulary everything, right? Yeah. So we're introduced to John Barnaby, who is the cousin of Tom Barnaby. Yes. They, on Tom's mom's side. Why would that be? It has to be his dad because they're both Barnaby. He mentions their yeah. grandmother. Yeah, he mentions the grandmother. But I, they've got to be related by paternal line yes. or they wouldn't both be Barnabys. Yeah. So, yeah. And he is a DCI in Brighton. Yeah. But, he's, but Tom's definitely the older cousin. Yes. Right. And he says... Yeah, your mom was right. I am a pain in the ass. You know. <laughs> they have a fun adversarial family, but I love you kind of feel oh, to them yeah, right away. Clearly they're happy to work together. Yeah. Then Tom is reading Debrett's. Do you okay. think he had a copy of Debrett's in his house already? Or did you check it out from the library? Why would the Barnabys have Debrett's in their house? It's right <laughs> in my notes. It's like some light reading that Barnaby's doing. I, I mean, I guess he rubs shoulders with aristocrats often enough that I, maybe. But he has a 2000 Debrett's. It's yes. like a recent one. Yeah. If you're, I forget. If you're not familiar with Debrett's, Debrett's Peerage is a... A book that is released, I don't know, every so often. And now we know why it's peerage and baronetage. Yes, because they're different. They're right? different. Yeah, baronets are not peers. Yep. Um, but it it lists all of the aristocracy yep. of the, is it just the UK? or just, is Just, I would say UK, I would say, yeah, UK. So Scotland, parts of Ireland, not to get political and Wales, Wales. and Britain. Britain. Um, and list their family trees and then yeah. the, the, the living members and what it's they do. mostly for royal watchers. But it's a great reference, yes. right? So if you want to know about somebody who comes from one of those families, you can look them up to see who their family well, is. You never know. Barnaby's kind of gone up in the world because he has a charwoman now who does nothing but fix his shirts. <laughs> Poor Joyce. She's so angry in this episode. She is so pissed at him. You know what? He deserves it because all he has to do is look her in the eye and say, I have no interest in Jenny. Yep. But he's so oblivious about it. Yep. I mean, I, I don't like that part of this episode. No. John, uh, Tom, sorry, is so savvy. He's so smart and he loves her so much. He would know that all he has to do is say, I got no interest in her. No. I don't care what she thinks of she me. She can date the Kyle, the organic butcher for all I care. <laughs> Who apparently must be a hottie, but we've never seen him before. Is Tom the organic policeman? <laughs> what does that even mean? I don't know. <laughs> I fight organic crimes. Yes, only organic crimes. <laughs> I don't know. Organic policeman. There's a photo of Richard and Giles the Reverend. Clearly Giles the Reverend. Like the first time I saw it, I'm like, oh, that's yeah, Giles. That's Giles. But Matilda is so oblivious, she never recognized the Reverend that she hired for her church being in the photograph that's on her piano in front of her face every day. Also, that picture is from 20 years ago. So the 1980s, which is why they're dressed like they're from the 1920s. 
Well, they're at Oxford. Oxford has traditions of some uniforms like that, like straw boaters and striped jackets. I got to think that Mark Gaddis is the most incredible actor in the world for not giggling incessantly with that wig on his head. (laughs) In the flashback? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, She tells Marcia that white on white is not a good bouquet and says she needs Zephyrin Druin. Which is a plant. Like yeah. a rose. It's a bourbon rose, a yeah. bourbon rose. Yes. It's French. It's a climbing rose. This is a central theme of the episode that I do not understand. And I'm hoping that you can explain it to me. Okay. All right. So Matilda explains to Barnaby that her family goes back to like 1066. The guy with the sword, Guillaume, yep. becomes William, which is their last name. And that he came to Britain. He was with the Normans, right? They repressed the Anglo-Saxons as far down as Brighton. Yep. Killed them, enslaved them, mistreated them, right? Because they had to, to take control. Yes. Okay? But she thinks the people who lived there, who live in Brighton, are barbarians, but her people are not, even though her people are the ones who had to kill everybody so they could take over. Well, isn't that kind of like ring, ring, pot calling? Well, (laughs) no, because the Saxons had better equipment and better technology. Like when you think of castles, what you realize, what you don't realize is that's not that's Saxony's influence on England. No, it's the the Norman. influence. Sorry, sorry. Norman's influence on England, not like English people weren't sitting around in castles until after the Normans. They were right. They were little more than barbaric. Like, they were, like, standing around still going, well, the Romans were here, and then they left, and the Vikings were here, and then they left. What are we going to... Oh, the Normans are here now. The Normans <laughs> but they were... they weren't wearing furs and oog-oog. No, but the Normans were more advanced than them. They, okay, but that doesn't make what they did right. It doesn't mean that they're the good guys. Oh, of course not. They didn't have to come in at all. No. They chose to. No. But Matilda is like, we're the good guys. I know we're the invaders and we killed a bunch of people, but we weren't barbarians, even though we really did come in and kill a bunch of people well, who it, couldn't defend themselves yeah. all that well. But but they're the barbarians. Yeah. What? Well, it led to this random mugging that caused Richard to be in the chair. Yes. Cause, what? Because, you know, the street utes, they know all about utes. 1066 and about the, uh, you know, the aristocracy from... From the Norman lines. That guy's last name is William. He's probably related to Guillaume. We should kill him. Take his wallet. What? Really? That makes no sense at all. I think she's overestimating the interest in history among muggers. Well, no. I think she lives in a dream world because she (laughs) knows what happened. (laughs) Then comes the weirdest scene, maybe of this entire season. Okay. The ninja break-in at J.C. Motors. Oh, when Marcia puts the sword on the bus? Yes. <laughs> yeah. I was like, what? What is she going to hide in there? And she's, she's got to read the logbook. <laughs> well, she's got to know which bus they got booked, right? She's only got one sword. She can't hide one in every bus. They were making this up as they went along. They might have had to go back and go, wait a minute. How did Marcia get the sword to... Yeah, because that we gotta explain that. Somehow. That whole scene, I double checked it. Might not be like it could be somebody else in the cloak completely. Yeah. And then when they get to Brighton, she hides this five foot sword in the back of Richard's 
a wheelchair. We'll get to her and hiding the sword and how she moves around with this hidden sword, which I don't understand. How does she do that? Only when she has the cloak on does it make any sense. But when she, she just, doesn't have the cloak on no, and appear. No, and she doesn't take Richard with her. So it's not It's not like she goes into the ghost train with Richard in the wheelchair and, and hides so behind the scenes. she's so upset that Richard's been left alone that she... And she's the one who left <laughs> him to go kill somebody. <laughs> she, well... Marcy is crazy, okay? She's clearly not right. <sighs> do you remember the mayor's wife from the previous episode? Yes, I do. <laughs> Would she have slept with Hugh? Uh, I don't know. She was she was kind of like angry about him sleeping around. So she might have angry slept with Hugh. But I remember her lying on her, her chair out by the pool saying she didn't want to be gentry she she just she was from the city she just wanted to go home yeah and be among the people that she was comfortable with and hugh is the opposite of that hugh is the crowd that dave hicks wants to be part of so i don't know why she would find him attractive at all he he shafted her wow (sighs) tom says he doesn't have the balls in this episode i was surprised Uh, by that uh, yeah the liquor store across from where they board the bus is called High Spirits. Yes, and that's where I found out where they are because High Spirits is still there. Because <laughs> stores with clever names survive. They're at 48 High Street. In? Hampstead. Uh, Hemel Hampstead. Nice. So there's like a big gravel parking lot across the... Now, here is my notes from this. Getting him onto the bus is going to be difficult. <laughs> Not for Marcia. No. I looked this up because I was like, we're going to stop in Crawley. Mm. He says they're going to have a convenience break. Yes. Or a comfort break. Comfort break. That's what they call it. Because when you have to pee, you're so uncomfortable. And all the old prostates on the bus. And I know (laughs) we make fun of this. Okay. I just wanted to know where they got all the old happy people to to play the extras. They're like, hey, they're all so drunk or something. I don't know. They all won a contest. (laughs) They're all just so happy to be on Midsummer. Yeah. Anyway, okay. So they're going to go to Crawley and then Brighton. How far do you think? Because I went from Hemel Hempstead to Crawley to Brighton, which are in a line. Now... I don't know where Hemel Hampstead is. Is it near where Midsummer is supposed to be? I'd say it's pretty close. It's the northwestern, northwest of London. Oh, well, but I thought Midsummer was closer to like Oxfordshire. Yeah, which is northwest of London. Okay, okay. So how far is it from Hemel Hempstead to Crawley? No, Hempstead Heath. No, Hempstead Heath is in London. No, Hemel Hempstead. Hemel Hempstead. You can't get those two confused. They're very different. Hempstead Heath is like Central Park. Yes. Right? So, because a lot of murders happen there in books that I read. Yes. So I'm going to guess to go from Hemel Hempstead to Crawley is 100 miles. Okay. So roughly an hour and a half. And then Crawley to Brighton. How far do you think? Another hour and a half. Okay. So a three hour journey. That's, I'm, that's three to five hours total. Yep. It's two hours. Total? Total. They have to stop for a break. And they stay the night? And they stay the night. And it's two hours. It's two. four hours round trip. Four hours round trip. That's redonkulous. It is <laughs> pure UK. Oh my gosh, we've gone too far. We have to stop for lunch. <laughs> well, if we're going to go all the way to Brighton, we better book a hotel on the way back because we'll never make it Why two hours. Why they book a hotel? <laughs> 
Well, if they're going to have a reception in the evening, which is what they had planned until Hugh got his head cut off, you know, maybe they were going to be there late and the oldies can't get back on the bus and, you know, sit there for two whole hours. Like two less than a Less than hours. a common movie nowadays yep. at the theater. <laughs> Sarah, have you ever been terrified? Not until now. <laughs> Why does he have? Like, he is the worst person to sit on the bus. He wants Giles to shut up. Yeah. Because every time Giles starts talking, it goes in a bad direction that nobody's interested in. (laughs) Do you believe in God? The mayor's just standing around talking on his phone, and that's what you say to him? Do you believe in God? Do you have belief? Do you have faith? You're at the pier. Have some cotton candy. Yep. Did you see the Taj Mahal in Brighton? Yeah, so that's a really famous Brighton building. That's the Royal Pavilion. It's gorgeous. Do you know why it was built? Uh, there was a royal exhibition? No. Okay. It was a royal residence. Oh. It was built in 1787 for George, who was the Prince of Wales at the time and later became King George oh. in 1820. Okay. It's been expanded and I think Brighton now owns it. Uh, it's not a royal residence anymore, but that's what it was built as was a royal residence. And Lady Matilda has the most fantastic umbrella. So you can't do a Brighton scenes without the pier. Right. But wait a minute. I'm talking about her umbrella. And she's standing by the ocean talking to the Marcia. No, she's talking to Giles. She's talking to Giles with this amazing umbrella. Yes. Yes. It's white. Yes. And it has a unique Unique shape. shape. It's called a pagoda umbrella. That's beautiful. And they're super common. You can buy one on Amazon for $24. Oh. I had never seen one before. Maybe I should have. I, they're ladies' umbrellas, so oh, you, you can get one, but you got to give it to me. Okay. <laughs> I'm only saying that because I want one. <laughs> but they, they have a different shape, and it is a more vintage design, but they're fairly common. I don't know why I've never seen one before. But it just struck me. It was just so pretty. And it's white, so it's intended to keep the sun off of you, not the rain. Yes. It's a shade umbrella. That one, anyway. And the Barnbys meet up with the mayors at the town hall. And that's Brighton Town Hall. That is, in fact, Brighton Town Hall. Yep. And it is merely a block and a half away from the ocean. So all this is totally... Yeah. And right near the pier. But I don't think the interior shots of... No. Like the big reception are at the town hall. No, I don't think so either. I think they're actually shot in the Royal Pavilion because that room has a very Indian feel to it. It has a lot of like mosaic inlays on the walls and the ceiling is kind of arched and yeah, it's a different space. Can I talk to you about moral decline? No. (laughs) The Terrys go to the mayor's dad's house. Yeah. So let's do the most boring Brighton story first. Okay. Which is the Terrys go... To the mayor's dad's house, take him for a bunch of of swords. Swords, Put him in a duffel and then hit the road. Yes. How do they get back? They probably just walk. It's only two hours away. (laughs) They could take an Uber. (laughs) Why does it say brain outside his door? (laughs) I was like, is his last name brain? And then no, I no, it's Douglas Wakeley is his name. Yep. But he has a brain. But it says brain outside the door. I do have a sad note on him. He was played by James Green, who just passed away last month. He passed away in January. He was 89. That's sad. He was in a ton of things. He had a long career. Died at 89. Um, No. Yeah. Number three, brain. (laughs) Barnaby goes with Barnaby out to look at this area outside of town. Mm -hmm. The suspicious land. 
which I looked, to get to any area like that out of Brighton would take half an hour. Half an hour? <laughs> I hope they booked a and b It does. I mean, the ocean's right there. Yeah. I mean, that's why it's a floodplain, right? Yes. Um, but, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a little hill yep. so they could build the temporary dwellings up there. So those are two stories. The mayor and the mayor are up to something with this land. Mm-hmm. The mayor and the mayoress. They keep calling her mayoress, which is weird. Mm-hmm. And then there's the shenanigans on the pier. Hugh puts liquor in Richard's sippy cup. Yes. He's just reprehensible. And then forces it down his throat. Pretty much, because he doesn't want it. So how, because he sees him do it. How does he force him to suck on the straw? I don't know. I mean, maybe Richard just isn't aware of what he's drinking. Like he can't, but but he has a sense of taste because he has food preferences. So I don't know, but Hugh is reprehensible. He doesn't know what medications that man's on and whether alcohol would be bad for him. Yeah. With the sto- why does Jenny go with him? Uh, with the story of the act with of the person doing that part, mm-hmm. I bet I bet this is a story he's heard or dealt with in his own life of somebody doing this to him. Yeah, I certainly believe that that any any part of the episode that is about Richard. I think would have been pretty well informed by Colin Brummage. Yeah. I think he would have had some insight and I think they would have some... listened to him. You know. So then the conceit is that Marcia has to go get tea, tea. for Matilda. So someone has to watch Richard. Mm-hmm. So then she comes back. And of course, I'm not watching any of this because I'm like, what the hell is a Billahong hut? Because <laughs> it's in the background, but we'll get to that. And... Uh, then she le- Then Hugh goes to the haunted house ride, the ghost train ride, mm-hmm. and then she leaves him again. Marcia leaves Richard again to get her cloak because she's in the cloak <laughs> in broad daylight with the sword. <laughs> it's like Richard at the back of that ride, like just sitting there, just sitting, having there. been the carrier of the sword and the cloak <laughs> all that time. I guess. So, Biltong. Maybe, okay, maybe Marcia, Marcia, she's wearing a skirt, right? Mm-hmm. So maybe she has the sword taped to one of her legs. It's five feet long. And she walks real stiff, because one of her legs won't bend, because she's got a sword taped to it. And it's got to be sharp enough to cut off his head and <laughs> propel it 15 feet backwards into, into the, the other the car. Behind. yeah. I don't know where she's supposedly stashing that, get, getting it out. Maybe she hides it in advance in the haunted house. So I, it's there I, waiting. I don't have a problem with her putting it on or carrying it. I have a problem of her wandering around the pier with a big sword and a cloak. That would raise attention. Okay, so she stashes the sword and the cloak on Richard's wheelchair, right? Yeah. She... She casually wheels him near the back of the ghost train, unloads her stuff through the back door of the ghost train, nobody notices, and then takes Richard off to have a cup of tea. So then when she slips away from Richard, it's Leaving waiting Richard for Richard alone, which is the thing she doesn't want but to happen. But she's got Hugh and Jenny sort of watching him. She goes Well, no, and waits. Hugh and Jenny can't. Well, wait a minute. You're not letting me finish. Okay. She waits there, not knowing well, she must be psychic too, because she knows Hugh's gonna come there. Yes. Right, because she's heard him on the bus saying he's going to go there. So she she goes there and she waits for Hugh to happen to 
come there, kills him, leaves her stuff there, goes back and gets Richard, takes him back to the back of the ghost train and gets her stuff. Not covered in blood and not seen. Well, the cloak keeps her from being covered in blood. Okay. And who's going to see her? It's dark back there. Does she, like, do you, is that a delicate that you wash it on or? I, I don't know, but it, the whole ride is 90 seconds long. Yeah. So she doesn't have a lot of time to get yeah. out of there before they discover Richard's, uh, Hugh's body. Yes. When it comes out front in the car. So Hugh's body is awesome. It's good. It's, his head, not so much. Well, his head is CGI. Yeah, it's flat. Yeah. When they when they pull the cover off of it, yeah, it's fl- it's like a pancake, like yeah. a piece of paper with his face on it. But yeah. it's not. But it's digital. But yeah. yeah. But it's him. It's him. Definitely, he lied there with a green collar on yes. it or something. <laughs> it may be the first green screen oh, effect that we've gotten midsummer. It is the first uh, CGI death for sure. I love the couple behind them, behind the body in the car when she looks down and notices the head, and she like and her boyfriend like flicks it out of the car <laughs> like get it away <laughs> i love the guy who operates the ride because he he is the mom mom i got apart for this episode yeah because he puts a lot of work into his face and not saying a word yeah but the couple who are standing in front of the ticket booth when it comes out initially they're like oh look at that isn't that funny there's a yeah. headless body on the car isn't that funny and the, guy, the guy behind the like, counter is like no, no no that's not part of the ride that's not part of the ride <laughs> and then when they realize that the the couple at the ticket booth he's like holding her and hiding her eyes and they're they're good extras we find out that the file on Richard's manhandling we'll get to that mm-hmm. has been altered Yes. And Jim Harper, who is in Casa de Copper, knows the real stuff. There's some other important things that happened before that, before we get the notes from, from Harper. Okay. That So they're having the ceremony at the town hall. Well I, well, I wasn't to the point where they got the notes. I was to the point where they were going to call them. Oh, okay. Because I have a question. Why does the vicar come on this trip? Um, because he doesn't have anything better to do. He has the only parishioners he has are Matilda and Marcia. And they're going on the trip, so why not? And then he says that he's going to do a service in the church I guess in he, Brighton. I guess he offered to do it. And then he says he can't do it. Right. And then later on, he's in the church. Yeah. How do he get in? I don't know. Churches are locked. Maybe reverends have a universal key for all churches. It's a skeleton <laughs> key. No one likes me. The band outside the town hall is playing... I do like to be beside the seaside. Yes. You know this song? No, I don't. You never heard it? No. Oh, yes, you've heard it. Oh, okay. Because you've heard The Seas of Rye by Queen. Yes. Which ends with... Ah, yes. Wouldn't you like to be beside the seaside? Yeah. It was written in uh, 1907 by John Glover Kind. That's where I had heard it before, was at the end of that Queen song, The Seven Seas of Rye. But I didn't know that's what the Queen song was called, because I always thought the lyric was, Till the Seven Seas Arrive. Uh, I didn't know it was of rye. Yes. Um, R-H-Y-E. Which is a drink. Yeah, but it's actually a reference to a mythical world that Freddie Mercury made up. Oh, okay. But the most interesting use of this song that I found <laughs> okay. um, is in Grand Theft Auto, The Lost and the Damned, okay. where a uh, cannibalistic serial killer sings it. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> that's dark, godless, and reassuringly hellish. Yeah. Just like the party. Yeah. Because, <laughs> you know, leave it to GTA to have a cannibalistic serial killer who sings about being by the seaside. <laughs> 
because it's a car racing game, remember? <laughs> so Barnaby and Barnaby don't know about this yet. No. They're at the pavilion. Being suspicious. Okay. Jenny goes off to buy a hat and really... Confront her ex-husband. Confront her ex-husband. Yes. Who has left her for some tart. Yes. Okay. Who sells tchotchkes in a booth. Now, this is a flamboyant murder on the pier in Brighton. Yeah. Do you not think they would have called John a little sooner? Mm, I think it's such a big deal that they want to tell the mayor first. You got to remember, this is like Jaws, baby. This is a seaside place. Somebody's just been beheaded on a fun ride, and that is going to make a major hit to their economy. Who's going to want to ride any ride after somebody's been beheaded on one? Okay, Brighton has about 390,000 people in it. What do you think their murder rate was for 2019? Five. No. What? Lower. Really? Yes. Two. Two. Two people were murdered in 2019 in Brighton. Two. Well. Three people died of traffic accidents. That's before the Barnabys got there. (laughs) Murder rate triples when the Barnabys show up. If they were in Brighton and there was a murder that was so spectacular on the pier, the entire city would have freaked out right away (laughs) no pavilion no party no comedy festival nothing but it they just discovered him like they're happening simultaneously they would call the every dci right away as soon as they discovered it i guess i i understand why they would tell the mayor first like lock down the scene get people as far away as possible tell the mayor so they have a nice moment on the pier when they're looking at the body and then they have a moment that drove me insane. The booties? Yes. <laughs> they have booties on. Because which you do at a crime scene. Yeah. And then they take the booties off. And just throw them in the open window of a cop car. <laughs> <laughs> Poor constable. No name. No name. His car is a trash just can. Just goes into his car. like somebody just threw a bunch of stuff in Dirty here. booties. Don't throw your dirty booties in my car. Plus, they're probably covered in blood because it would be difficult to avoid blood. Yeah. Um, Oh, but it's two pairs of Barnaby dirty booties. I was like, (laughs) the Barnabys would not do that. I'm sorry. Dirty booties is fun to say. (laughs) Some sort of... Barnaby dirty booties is hard to say. (laughs) Some sort of local samurai nutter. Oh, you have no idea. (laughs) Do you have nutters? Oh, yes. All kinds. (laughs) I like it when when the mayoress looks up and she says DCI Barnaby and they both stand forward. Yeah. It's like, will the real DCI Barnaby please stand up, you know? Lady Matilda goes, are they all named Barnaby? (laughs) They kind of go, yeah. Okay. Can I tell you about other crimes in Brighton? Yes, please. Because though Brighton may have a very low murder rate right now, that doesn't mean that they haven't had some spectacular murders there in the past. They have indeed. I found trying to find the current murder rate in Brighton was difficult. Not because there's not crime statistics. It's because there's not many murders. Right. Well, not only do I need to tell you about a couple of fantastic murders that have happened there, and by fantastic, I mean way over the top, not good. Yes. Right? They're not great. No. They're awesome in that they inspire awe, maybe. They're awful. Awful. They're full of awe. Yeah. Okay. I also need to tell you about an important accident on a ghost ride. Okay. Okay. So the most notorious murders 
that have happened in Brighton are trunk murders. Yes. Bodies the tr- the trunk hidden murders. in trunks. Yeah. Do you know about these? A little bit because I found them. When you put murders Brighton right. in the search you engine, see them. you're going to get trunk murders. What's amazing to me is there are two simultaneous murderers who put women's bodies in trunks the same year in Brighton, unrelated to one another. It was the thing to do that year. Apparently. Apparently. 1934, year of the body in the trunk. Yes. It's what was, you know, the fashion in 1934. Were they Louis Vuitton trunks? No, they were wooden. One of them oh. was plywood. Ugh. So in, in June of 1934, a woman's torso was found in a wooden trunk in the left luggage at Brighton Station. Oof. Just her torso. Then her legs were found in a trunk at King's Cross in London. <sighs> and because she had pretty feet, dancer's feet, they called her the girl with the pretty feet. Oh. Or pretty feet for short. Pretty feet. She was never identified and her killer was never found. Oh. And they oh. never found the rest of her either. Isn't there, there's an Agatha Christie that's sort of like that there, where there's parts distributed. The story that you're thinking of may be the other trunk crime that happened at about the same time. Okay. It's amazing. Also in 1934, a woman named Violet Kay uh, was killed by her boyfriend, Tony Mancini, and he kept her non-dismembered body. That's how she was described. Oh, okay. Because apparently so many people were being dismembered, it was notable that she was not dismembered. Your Google searches. (laughs) So broken. Her non-dismembered body was put in a trunk and he kept it at the foot of his bed. Oh, men suck. It reminded me of Alfred Hitchcock's movie Rope. Yeah, it's it's very ropeish. Where there's a body in a trunk in a a place that anybody could see. Yeah. And his, his, it was a... Uh, bed set that he had but he was acquitted he admitted to putting her body in the trunk because he had a criminal record and she had died in some accident and he thought he would get blamed for it so he put her body in the trunk he admitted that and he was acquitted wow but then 30 years later a reporter from the news of the world you know that awesome high quality paper interviewed him and he confessed Oh. To throwing a hammer at her head. Oh, that's not an accident. But he was acquitted, so they couldn't oh. they couldn't charge him again. That's horrible. It's horrible. And that was just in 1964 when he admitted it. Oh. And he would have been maybe in his 50s, because he was only 24 when he killed her. So he would have been in his 50s. So, like, what are the chances, though, that two people would kill people and put them in trunks in the same year in the same city? I don't know. But what happened on the ghost train? This is actually kind of sad. Okay. But weird. Okay. So I wanted to know about not accidents on amusement park rides, because there are a lot of really unfortunate accidents on amusement park rides, but specifically on ghost rides, which are a special kind of ride. They're called a dark ride. Yep. You ever ride one of these? Yeah. Okay. Um, And they're built around something called a pretzel track or a switchback track. Yes. Right. So in a very short space, a little train track kind of doubles back on itself in these really tight corners so they can create like a almost like a series of hallways with vignettes that get lit up as you pass them. Right. So it's really tight. Yep. In 1979 in Sydney at a place called Luna Park, um, their ghost ride caught fire. Oh. And six kids and one adult died in the fire. But what's and that's really sad. Yeah. But what's weird about it is that there's a photo of this family waiting on a key for the ferry to take them to the park. And a man in a 
he's he's shirtless, but he's wearing a hood that looks like it's made out of a, an animal skin with big horns on it, has his hand on the shoulder of one of the kids in this photo. Okay, I'm weirded out. He looks almost like the um, the shaman from the horned guy who who was yeah who was part of the insurrection at the Capitol on the sixth okay. of January, but it also kind of covers his face. Okay, and nobody knows who he is or oh, why he was there. Of course, nobody knows. And of course, they didn't figure out the the cause of the fire. The the park was was sort of blamed a little bit for not having better fire suppression, yep. but they weren't blamed for the start of the fire. They think that that was arson. I know who did it. That guy. That's creepy. They call him the creep. fire demon. Oh, that's creepy as creep. If you want to be super creeped out, Google Luna Park fire demon. Oh, we'll put the picture in the show notes. It's it's sad. Yeah. That all but the mother of that family died. Oh. She went to get ice cream instead of getting on the ride, and they all died. And I blame that guy. I'm going to have nightmares about Just that. Just because he's creepy. Yep. You haven't even seen the picture yet. <laughs> anyway, Gail and Jones can't have lunch. No. These poor people. <laughs> and their lunches look pretty good. He's got like a chicken pie, and she's got like salmon and veggies. What kind of boss is Joe is Barnaby that he can't just say, well, do it after lunch? Pack your lunch up and take it back with you. No, they no. just got to throw it in the pond. They just abandoned their lunch. I love that he says, I can hear ducks. Like, you're not at the office. I can hear ducks. Is he supposed to work 24 hours a day? When something's going down, like somebody getting beheaded, you eat lunch in the office. If he somebody got beheaded in my office, I would eat lunch in my office. He didn't know about the beheading yet. This no. is when he tells Jones you're about right. the beheading. You're right. It's not like he's goofing off with a hot case. He doesn't know about it yet. But then Jones has scene of the episode where he lays the slap down on the banker guy. Oh, my gosh. Perkins. Perkins, who we've seen before. He was in Hidden Depths. Yep. And Jones just lays the smackdown. He pulled the same crap in that episode. I can't possibly tell you the bank information of somebody without their permission, even though they're dead and they can't get permission. So, no. Yep. Like, um, not going to happen. I love that he just like, bam. (laughs) Yes, I have memorized that. Wait a minute. Let's have them stay overnight in Brighton. Well, now they kind of got to stay overnight. I guess so. They're investigating the case and they're all suspects. You want to keep them in place. Jenny's husband sneaks into her room pretending to be Barnaby. How long has this obsession with Barnaby gone back with her? Long enough that he knows about it and he's been gone for at least a year. She's a bit of a stalker. I think that Jenny sees Tom as a good man and that she has had occasion to say to her husband, who is not a good man, why can't you be a good person like Tom Barnaby? Yep. He's the kind of man that that I should be married to. Somebody who's a good person. Okay. Then comes another strange vicar scene. Giles Giles gets weirder and weirder. Breaks into the church. I guess. And is praying about how he doesn't believe in God. He's not praying. He's he's calling them out. Yep. He's saying, you're not real. We made you up. Yeah. So it's, God sends him a sign. Th- there's and a, it breaks him. <laughs> <laughs> there's a scene in uh, West Wing that's very like this. Up to the point where God makes an appearance. By the way, this is the first divine appearance in uh, Midsummer. That or Marcia has power over pulleys in all kinds of churches. And makes the lamp fall. <laughs> She's trying to freak him out. My note is God would like you to put the fire out. Yes. <laughs> 
I'm like, so you broke into this church that you couldn't have a ceremony at, that you didn't talk to the vicar of, and you set it on fire and then you leave. What are you, some sort of fire demon? <laughs> no, he's had this huge religious epiphany, so he just doesn't care. So he goes off and drinks himself stupid, so he's drunk in the morning. And continues to talk to himself for the rest of the episode. Well, you know, it takes two hours to get back to... Costin, we better leave at six in the morning. So he can ramble all the way home. Yeah. But we do get to see Matilda have high tea. She has high tea at the Grand Brighton Hotel. Yeah. Which is really the Grand Brighton Hotel. Which I thought if we ever make it out of this place and actually get to England, we should go to Brighton and stay at the Grand for at least one night. Because it's in it's in uh, Poirot. Yeah. Too. I'm, I'm always jealous of anybody who gets to have real, like, Cream tea. But she had tea already. high tea. Marsha got it for her. And okay, but she's British. She drinks tea all day. How many gallons do you have to drink? You can't have enough tea. I you guess. can't have too much tea. I would drink tea all day. I'd be jittery, but yes. I would do it. It's very nice tea. They go and talk to the mayor. Well, she, no. George meets them at the bus. No, you're jumping ahead. Oh, okay. Yep, because they still have to confront the mayor. That's right. About her deal. And she denies everything, right? Yeah. This is where we get to see that John is actually a really good cop. Yes. Because he knows how to play people. Yeah. And he uses psychology. Yeah. We'll, so, we'll so have they, more of that next season. They confront her. And then, of course, then she comes out and yells at Dave Hicks about the deal. So they know that something's going on. And John says, you have to know how to operate a ferret. Yes. Do you know what that is? No idea. You, you do know what it is. You just don't remember. Okay. Because we've already seen it in something else. Where hunters would put a ferret down a rabbit hole to drive the rabbits out oh, the other side and catch them. That's right. That's what he's talking about. Uh, that happens before Giles sets the church on fire. <laughs> then John drops off the notes because Harper, who lives in Spain, has faxed, faxed them, them over. over. And then George says, there's ferrous oxide on the wound, probably from an old sword. Yes. Bing, 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 bing. Oh, it must be the Terry's. Because they stole swords from somebody. The Terries have chickens in their driveway, and they drive me insane. But they inspire one of the best subtitles I've ever seen. What is the subtitle? Police and chickens chattering. <laughs> <laughs> it's like all the police extras are going bawk, 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 in the background. Police and chicken are chattering. Did you notice that Lucy and Trent Terry wear matching shirts? No, I they didn't. They have the same green and bright and gray and like acid green plaid shirts on it's weird I, I never trust in the couples who dress alike it just freaks me out i love how barnaby just walks in yeah <laughs> may we come in thank you and trent's just like oh, i was hicks he did it yeah trent like gives everybody up right away well, first he's like, oh, I don't know anything. And then like once it's obvious that they know something, he's like, well, it was Hicks. Yeah, we didn't do murder. Yeah. Hicks deserves to be thrown under the bus. Yeah, he does. Because he's up to it. And they let her, the, the mayor of Brighton know that he robbed his dad, too. Her dad. Her dad. Yeah. And then, then comes the most cringeworthy plot point of the entire episode. What's that? The idea is this, that Hugh Degleish is going to pay... Jenny to marry Richard to take Richard's emissions in the turkey baster, impregnate herself, and marry him. Yes, that why, she would be the breeding vessel. Oh, why would Jenny 
have anything to do with this. I don't think Jenny knows anything about this plot. I don't think anybody's bothered to tell Jenny about it yet. You don't think so? No. Okay. Because she's still married. Okay. Right? Yeah. So they've got machinations to go on first. They got to get her divorced and then they got to convince her to do this. And how Hugh benefits from that, I don't understand. Well, I think Hugh's offered her up because he want, he's going to forgive the loans on her hotel because of it. Okay. Because so she gonna, owns Hugh a bunch of money. Right. So he's going to get Jenny to agree to it by forgiving her mortgage. Yeah. And then Matilda is going to give Hugh a bunch of land. Yeah. In exchange for him pimping Jenny out. And some money to fix the roof of the church. Yes. Okay. Okay. Still, I think Jenny gets the worst side of this deal. That's the whole thing is disgusting. Yeah. It's just bad. Just revolting. Meanwhile, Marcia becomes Marcia becomes more Doolally as like it's a race to Doolally town between the vicar and Marcia. Yeah, because they're both snapping, and then they meet and snap together. Yes, they do indeed. <laughs> but, but first, before that, Jenny's sh- Jenny's cheating husband gets the surprise of his life. <laughs> wow! So Jenny's cheating husband comes back <laughs> to take some pocket change and cheap jewelry. <laughs> why did he not go? If he's going to rob her, why not go back the two hours it would take him to Costin before she gets home? The night that he knows she's at a hotel. Maybe she's got all of her cash and cheap jewelry with her. Oh, maybe. But well, she pushes him off the bus, which is great. Yes. I love when she does that. Yes. And then sits with Barnaby. Yeah. But man, when he sees her head on that dressing table, it's perfect. Yeah. It would only be better if she looked around. Yes. <laughs> and they do a good job. They did such a good job with her head. Yeah. I'm not sure how they did it. Well, no, I think. It's actually her. And I think that they either... Then they had to like create like a false bottom for the dresser yes, so she could sit I, underneath it. I think that's... Like when you put somebody's head on a tray. Yeah. I yeah, think I think you're right. That, I think you're right. Because there's no hint of green screeniness to no, it. No, no, no. I think that's what they did. But man, the corpse on the bed. Woo! There's a mess. Blood everywhere. Yeah. Like he's slip sliding all over the place. That's a bad scene. Then we get to find out that Giles is not a sexual creature. Well, no. Okay. Ew! Gross! Okay. Yeah. Hold on. Before we get to that. Sorry, I just jumped to the next gross thing in my list. So Marsha got the cloak on again. (laughs) Got the sore. Mm -hmm. Like, okay. I'm sorry to be pedantic. (laughs) But how far is the estate from town? Like, does she have to drive with that? I don't know. But I'm, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm getting the impression that your problem with the plotting of this episode (laughs) might be how Marcia manages to get around with the cloak and sword. Is that accurate? She goes out the front door of a hotel. (laughs) Oh, my God. You know, maybe people think that she's just dressed up for a party or something. <laughs> maybe they're so scared that they don't confront her and go, hey, where are you going with that sword? Oh, and Marsha's at the house and then suddenly she's at the hotel. Like she's a teleporting ninja cloak wearing I don't sword think they're that woman. far apart. And she could drive. I hope so. <laughs> she gets pulled over in their cloak with a big sword in the passenger seat. Hello, officer. So I'm just going to Pilates. Yeah. <laughs> So what we learn is that the vicar's note implied that he was gay. Yes. Okay. And then we find out that him and Richard had... That they were gay. They were gay. Yeah. But then Richard dumped him for Marcia. Oh, no. We don't know who he dumped her for. But that's who he dumped her, him for. No, that's... But we just didn't know it. He didn't know it at confirmed. the time. Yeah, it is. No, it's not. 
Yeah, that's what Barnaby suggests. Okay. Anyway. That's why she takes care of him for so long, because she loved him back. Okay. <laughs> back Sorry. to the gay stuff. <laughs> okay. okay. I was impressed, because they did a male homosexual romantic scene that included a full-on kiss, mm-hmm. and included... It was romantic. Yeah. It wasn't... There's nothing seedy about it. It wasn't seedy. It wasn't overly sexual. They care about each other. It was romantic. Yes. That I appreciated. Yep. Okay. Second of all, and this is what my comment earlier about they're woke almost. They... The... Giles says he's asexual. Mm Mm-hmm. Which... I was like, okay, there are people who are asexual mm-hmm. and they're not interested in sex and the, the, there's nothing wrong with those people and Giles is one of these people. And then they completely sabotage the whole thing that he's only asexual because he killed, he basically put Richard in a wheelchair. Yeah. <laughs> like, not because that's what he is. No, but- he's ruined for any kind of romantic feelings for anybody because he almost killed the only person he ever loved. Yes, and then you also have the the gay love gone wrong causes somebody to do violence to another person trope. Yeah, which is unfortunate. So they were they were almost there. Yeah. They had good stuff and then they just screwed it up. And then Barnaby starts talking about balls. And Giles and Richard and Marcia were at Oxford together. Yes. I know this. So the first time Giles shows up to, for the vicar job, why didn't she go, Giles? Yes. I know you. I mean, Richard obviously can't, but no, she could, she but could've. she doesn't. Boy, the wig that, that he's in. In the flashbacks? crazy. Giles's wig? Yeah. He's got ginger curly hair. Then we suddenly find out that Marcia is obsessed with exercise. We've had no hint of this at all. But apparently None. she's off pumping iron at the gym all the time when she's not running that entire estate single-handedly. I have to attend Evensong alone. N- nobody else bothers. Well, the bell ringers just clear right out. Yeah, and go off to the pub. Can you blame them? Would you want to stay for Giles's sermon the lady says she's built like a pit pony yeah do you know what pit ponies are aren't they ponies that they used in um, mines yeah so mining in the early 19th century is a weird situation because not only did they use children yeah and women and but they used women who wore no clothes they sometimes took their tops off because they were so hot and they had to drag these big baskets of coal. And that's what stopped women from working in mines was it came out that they were doing it topless. Mm-hmm. That that was so horrendous. Never mind the fact that they were crawling on their backs carrying Yeah, baskets, on their hands and knees. Carrying baskets of coal. Yeah. Never mind that. No, no, no. Nobody should do that. Yeah. Never mind that. It was because they were showing a little bit of nipple, so... In the dark. In the dark. In a hole. In a hole. Blasphemy. Blasphemy. That picture is so clearly Giles, it's not funny. I, Matilda is oblivious. I, I love, she says the best line of an aristocrat so far in this series, I think. Because Barnaby says something and she goes, I live in the big house. Yeah. I've got response. I got to run this town. I was like, wow. Like, I've got responsibilities. Like, I know I call it the big house, but she (laughs) calls it the big house. In America, the big house is prison. Yeah. She goes, I I live in the big house. I'm like, wow. She is well aware of her position. Yes. 
She's got responsibilities. They, he goes, where's Marsha's room? And then we never see him looking in Marsha's room. No. And we never really hear what he finds in Marsha's room. No. Because Marcia and Giles are in the church and he's volunteering to be beheaded. No, because there was a scene that had to get cut because they were over time. <laughs> and it was more important to get to the beheading. Yes. That so, doesn't happen. So the idea is that Giles has gone crazy because now he believes in God. Mm-hmm. And he's hearing messages from God. Crazy, and that Marsha is going to kill him because in revenge for Richard. In revenge for Richard. Okay. Oh, okay. Well, and she wants to prevent the whole Jenny marrying Richard thing, right? Yes, that's the inciting incident. Yeah. So she has she has to kill Hugh because he's brokering the whole deal. She has to kill Jenny because Jenny is the breeding vessel. She's got to kill Giles because they think that he is the minister who will be willing to marry them. And he made him paralyzed. And, yeah. So it makes sense that, like, she's And about Matilda to is next. She's about to snap. Yeah. Okay? And then that moment where he puts the liquor in his drink is the final straw. Yeah. Hugh's got to die. So I'll go back in time now and put a sword on the bus and... <laughs> I think she thinks by murdering him in Brighton, she'll throw people off the scent. Maybe. That it's her. Maybe. So they go into the Sylvestri on the side. We hear some shouting. They try to get the door open. And then, yeah. He's impaled. He's impaled. So Giles is impaled, and we are led to believe in the beginning that he's dead. He's just paralyzed. He's just paralyzed. Which is kind of fair, isn't it? Yes. Though... I think it was an accident when he pushed Richard. I didn't think he intended to I totally to think it was an accident. Yeah. Again, another interesting next vicar interview. Yes. <laughs> Matilda hiring the next vicar? Yeah. Yeah. Who's her next housekeeper going to be? Oh. She or has, Richard's next carer? She has duties. Duties. <laughs> in the big house. She said duties. <laughs> in the big house. And then Richard goes... I'm out of here. Well, he tries to off-road in his wheelchair. He takes off, for, but the gates are locked. Help me. Poor man. He's just trying to get as far away as he can. Yeah. Uh, when Barnaby is kind of explaining everything and we get the flashback of Marcia and what she's doing, the scene where she is about to cut Richard's hair, she's joking around with him and she says something for the weekend, yeah. which is the, the code from a barber to a customer to give him condoms. To buy condoms yep. for the weekend, which I think is kind of a cruel joke to make to Richard. Okay. There is too much discussion of Richard's nether parts and doesn't involve Richard at all. Yeah. Well, and Jenny too. Oh. She is an object all the time. Like people are making deals about her, deciding things about her, and she's a human being. Well, Joyce doesn't think so. <laughs> huh. I'd like to see Joyce's face when she finds out that she's beheaded. Yeah. Oh, good. Okay. I don't have to worry about her anymore. Phew. You sat next to her on the bus? She's dead now. You sat next to her on the bus? <laughs> she might come back. You never know. It's midsummer. <laughs> and that is the crazy bonkers town that is Sword of Gil. Okay. Best corpse. <laughs> nice corpse. I got to go with Jenny. Why? Because... It's actually her head. It's pretty, like, it's eyes wide open. She's not moving. And the body on the bed is really impressive since it's not even her. Right. Now, if I, ha- if I could, I would choose Giles. 
though he doesn't die. Mm-hmm. But, but Mark Gaddis does a good job of acting as if he actually has a sword through him. Yes, he does. But if I have to pick between Daglish and Jenny, I'm with you. I choose Jenny. After the credits. Okay. The Terrys are fine. They got to give back the swords. And they're just left with their multi-million dollar farm. Yes. Uh, John Barnaby gets a new job. <laughs> Soon. Soon. Richard and his mother. Maybe after all of this, she will realize that she needs to have a more active part maybe. in helping him and that maybe he can communicate a little bit better than we're giving him credit for. Uh, let's see. The mayoress stays mayor, but I, Dave Hicks is not going to stay mayor after all this comes out. No, he's arrested. He's going to, yeah, he's, he's going to prison. He's going to jail. We never see him again. No, so he's done. He's definitely going to jail. Yeah. So that's it. No, there's Bill. True. Bill, I would think, is very scarred for the rest of his life. Yeah, he did see his wife's head on the dressing table. I don't think that's going to go away anytime fast. No. Oh, and that poor couple who were behind Hugh on the ride. Yeah, they probably have some problems now, too. Yeah, they're going to need some counseling. Are you ready for a horrible movie? Sure. This movie is terrible. Ha, I bet Mark's seen it. I only have one for you this okay. week. Okay, I'll try to see it how well I do. Okay. I think there's a pretty good chance you might have seen this. Okay. So Robin Soans is in this. He played Perkins the banker in okay. this episode. Uh, this is a 2004 movie. And I'm even going to tell you that it stars Elizabeth Hurley. Okay. A celebrity actress who gets her dream role playing the real-life 19th century serial killer Belle Guinness in a feature film starts to take on the characteristics of the character both on screen and off. It's set in Indiana, where we live. Have you ever seen this movie? No. So Elizabeth Hurley is playing Belle Guinness, who is a real... Serial killer, real life serial killer. killer. There's been a last podcast on the left about her. She started her spree in In Indiana Indiana. because she. she, So her mo was that she would marry people and then kill them, inherit their life insurance, move on. Mm -hmm. That's what she did. Um, It's called Method. Method. Yeah. Never heard of that. I thought you would have seen that one. No, because it looks so tacky. Yeah, it does. (laughs) I would have thought I heard about it living here. Yeah. Ah, well, that's one for me then. I thought that was an easy one. I would think so, too. Maybe it was recent and everything else. Off my game. Midsummer Maniacs (laughs) can be found on Twitter, Instagram. I'm too excited. I'm sorry. And we uh, also post on Facebook groups for uh, Midsummer Acorn and the subreddit where you can find other maniacs. Yeah. So on to the announcement. Okay. Announcement time. Yes. We have lined up a guest for next week. Yes. His name is Ben Sorensen. He's from Melbourne, Australia. He does voiceover work and he's a comedian and I think he's fantastic. He does quizzes. Yes, he does. He invited us to quiz night. We've talked to him about him on the podcast before mm-hmm. and he's going to join us for next week's episode 76, season 13, episode three, Blood on the Saddle. So we're going to have an Aussie, a Canadian, and an American talking about a British show about American cowboys and murder on amusement park rides. Awesome. <laughs> I know that we are going to have fun. Yeah. And it's going to be fun to listen to. So we hope that you'll tune in next week to hear that. Yep. So until next week, Maniacs. Bye, Maniacs. Bye, Maniacs.
There's a beauty secret I didn't know. My guitar teacher used to put crazy glue on his on his nails. On his fingernails. Yeah. Wow. And turn them into weapons. Okay.